0: We were talking about toughness versus strategy, you know, and and this I don't want this to sound weird or weak, but like it's sometimes toughness or having to be tough is something that you want to like use as a reserve tank, or at least in my opinion, from from coming from the world of strategic sport or like competitive sport. I hope I could win without having to be tough, because that means my strategy, my resources, my all my training has been on And then tough is that X factor I have if I have to go there. But really, like, it it, it probably makes me sound like a complete P. but, like, I'm going to try to use as little as as my resources as possible to get the maximum result so I have the, the reserve tank when I have to.
1: These are stories of outdoor adventure and expert advice From folks with calloused hands. I'm James Nash, and this is the Six Ranch Podcast. The Six Ranch Podcast is brought to you by Sig Sauer. Sig is a leading provider and manufacturer of firearms, electro optics, ammunition, air guns, and suppressors. For over 250 years, SIG Sauer Inc. has evolved and thrived by blending American ingenuity, German engineering, and Swiss precision. Today, SIG Sauer is synonymous with industry-leading quality and innovation, which has made it the brand of choice amongst the US military, the global defense community, law enforcement, competitive shooters, hunters, and responsible citizens. SIG Sauer is also a premier provider of elite firearms instruction and tactical training at the Sig Sauer Academy located in New Hampshire. For more information about Sig Sour and its complete line of products, visit sigsour.com. No, that's a beautiful buck. Um I have not shot that many um, big big whitetails, but I've got a, a really good opportunity this year in Kansas. I've got a oh, very, yeah. good tag in Kansas and Man, they shoot some big deer back there.
0: Yeah, I've never killed I never hunted Kansas before. I hunt Missouri every year and um I've killed a couple of good ones there. Um that one and then um this past year I killed a good one with my bow and with my rifle there. So yeah, that Missouri I, I wouldn't say I have figured out, but I definitely know that I like it there. But Kansas and Nebraska and all that stuff looks super cool too. Iowa is obviously a spot that I want to hit
1: one day. Cool. Well, we're here with, uh, with Mr. Bert Soren, the winner, the winner of the Frickin' Hunter Games. Dude, I'm so proud of you. Thanks, man. That was uh, quite the surprise. I think
0: everyone hopefully saw that, how surprised I was. <laughs> <laughs> what's,
1: your, uh, what's your history in, in shooting like? Have you shot very many competitions? Um, No. Not like competition
0: competitions. Um, I've shot it like uh, we did a thing called smoke check years ago. That was like this uh, selections based kind of competition that had survival skills and shooting and like some kind of fighting kind of stuff and some strength stuff and did pretty well. I think I won that, but um, then, so kind of like, you know, not like big, big time stuff. And then uh, a couple different shooting and strength events at some stuff like Foreverly stock and uh, those events. I've, I've done those type things, but never like a sanctioned competition. Well,
1: you crushed it. Did you have a good time?
0: Oh, I had a ball, man. It was, it was really, really a fun experience. It was, I was thrilled to be invited. That was like, I was super pumped about that. Recalibrate my mind from the super pumped to be invited to the, like, Hey, this, you know, this is a competition. And then it's like, all right, time to compete. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Without trying to put pressure on myself. I mean, because there are so many amazing shooters and athletes. And it's like, okay, I'm, you know, my, my number one goal, you know, was don't make a fool of yourself. So.
1: Man, if it's stuff like that, if people are safe and have a good time, then like, that's awesome. Everything else is gravy. That was the thing, you
0: know, and and I'm not from altitude. So like the altitude and the terrain was, was pretty rough. I trained as much as I could going into it. Um, And, but the number one thing is like, you know, don't get hurt. Don't make a fool of yourself. (laughs) 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 That was was it. And, And then, you know, and the team, I'll be honest, like I went into it, you know, I didn't know the rest of the team. So it was, although we were a team, eventually it was like the first couple of rounds were like, I was putting it on myself like, hey, I want shoot clean, do what you got to do, do your job first. But it was pretty sweet because within, say, two iterations, I think everyone on the team gelled really quickly. And we were all like really excited to help each other and for each other to have success. And then it was cool by the end of the day, you know, in the first day, we were all just, OK, how do we how do we help each other succeed? And that was what was a neat Lesson for me is, you know, we end up doing honestly better than when I was worried about my shooting necessarily. So, yeah, it was it was a good learning experience for me, and and the team was fantastic.
1: Well, and you're obviously, you know, a a competitor. You've got a history in competition, Corey, as well as as your team guide. Corey is a very smart, very analytical person with a long history of performing at the very highest level. And since he got to shoot the competition last year. I guarantee you, he thought about it all year long. Like if I go back, this is what I'm going to do differently. And you know, the, the ability to take a lesson and apply it to action and then turn that into success, like as much as anything, that's what separates winners from losers.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think we, what we did very well, um, And really, Corey had some amazing leadership qualities. And I have to say a lot about Kendall as well, man. He came in super, super helpful, but, you know, just like open, ready to go. Just he was the team player from jump. And then by the end of the second day, like you could see his leadership qualities developing. And but what we would do, I mean, whether we cleaned out a, a target group or even if we did pretty well, we had after actions, after little mini after action meetings after every round that we would go okay that was cool like that target we could have you know if you notice we could have gone five yards further back there's that little rise we could have shot prone yeah we hit them all from the bipods but maybe we could have done this better yeah next time get your bag over to me you know put your hip into my right shoulder I could have been a little bit more stable and like we we rounded that up about a minute into our height going to the next round before we started breathing heavy but we we assessed every situation whether it was a a good one or a bad one and i think that always helped us come up with our next move and we we ran into each each iteration like pretty much loaded for bear ready to roll you know and that that was the fun part when we started getting to that level it was like okay this is really cool
1: that's awesome that's awesome
0: and I love Corey's ability just to say super calm and positive. And yeah. that was very um very comforting, you know, because I mean he just never, never wavered, just nice and steady. And and um and at times like he would lead, and then at other times I think I would kind of take a little bit of a leadership role and then like, but we were never fighting for it. It was like, cool, Corey, what do you think we should do here? Hey, Kendall, what are you good? Voice well, is like, Roger that, you know, and then we yeah. just we just rolled and no one was like fighting for the glory, which I thought was cool.
1: Yeah, no. All of you guys were super skilled and and uh, and really humble last year on the course after a hill hike portion of it, Hoyce had, had just gotten to the top and everybody was kind of everybody was tired. It was a really hard hike. And everybody else on the team was like, yeah, you know, whatever. Not that big of a deal. I was like, how you doing? Boys? He's like, that was freaking terrible. <laughs> I hated that. I'm old. And, uh, and he's doing it and crushing it like he has everything else in his life. But uh, I really appreciated that, that honesty and comfort with himself that he was willing to bring to bear and all that.
0: Oh, yeah. I'll be honest. It was, it was from a. It was one of the hardest physical things I've ever done, A, because I, I I try to hike and I try to do more basically for hunting. I hate endurance work. That's just not what I did for my entire athletic and professional athletic career. Um, and I live at sea level. So two things. So that that, that one bomb up that first, you know, the first day, well, I think we were one of the only groups that actually got it in, but that about it killed me. Like it was, there was definitely times that I was going like, all right, I'm going to have to like rest on this tree or I'm pretty sure I'm just going to pass out like on my feet, which will be detrimental if I fall and, you know, stab my eye out or something. So like, that was very, very difficult for me, but I got the top. I was, I was, I was not mincing words. That was, that was hard. And then the (laughs) the, the hundred pound plus pack out on that slippery road, when it got all that like greasy mud hoist and I were walking together and and this was actually pretty cool. Real cool, I thought both of our glutes just totally locked up. Like they just wouldn't go. And I was like, you know, I kept thinking, I was like, all right, you know, gotta be tough, gotta be mentally tough. Like just, you know, keep push through the pain. And then after a while it was like, I don't know if like mechanically my body is working anymore. It's not even a, a be tougher. It's just like I'm taking six inch steps because my top of my glutes are just locked down. And I look over at Hoist. I'm like, dude, I can't walk anymore. He's like, I know, I can't. <laughs> we're just like, oh, this sucks. You know, we're literally taking these six inch steps and my glutes wouldn't even like pull me forward. So I would have to like shift my body weight low and kind of glide down my own body weight to my other leg. And I'm sitting there looking, I'm like, we got 300 yards more to go. I know we don't have a ton of time. Like I'm going to be the idiot that makes us Get penalized for this, you know? Like I'm, I'm getting down on myself. I'm like, man, like my legs aren't even working. Am I gonna get freaking rabdo? Like, and then have to go, i will be out in the hospital tomorrow. Like, ah, oh, crap. You know, I was just like trying to assess that. And Hoyce, I think, was feeling the same thing. And then Corey, who's just an animal, and Kendall, who surprised the heck out of us, they would both dropped their packs and they ran back. Corey's like, hey, dude, give me your pack. So I rolled my pack to Corey. I took Hoyce's ammo and his and his weapon off of his pack to lighten it up. Kendall lifted up a little bit on the back of Hoyce's pack, and we all got across the finish line under the time. And it was like, that to me was like, in my opinion, it was a personal failure because I was not good enough to do it on my own, but I think that was a perfect lesson. I was like, yeah, but as a team, we all got across the finish line with one or two minutes to spare Well, generally I was first shooter. I'd set up the shot and it tactically worked great because I was the guy who carried no weight for the last 300 yards. So I was recovered by the time we got to shoot. And then I think like I cleaned out all the targets. It was like, oh, sweet. As a team, we, we, we make this really one cool organism. Right. And, uh, it was just, it was a humbling experience because I go, okay, physically, I've never not been able to go anymore. Like my body hasn't, you know, maybe a large, a big set of squats where you just seize up, but like, I've never done it where I could just stand there with a pack. and like, ah, my legs aren't working anymore. Damn it. <laughs> you know, Like this sucks. Yeah. And, um, so that was, that was cool. And, you know, and I was like, man, do I want to really tell people that like, I couldn't finish a part like, Hey man, that's what happened. And that was the beauty of the team was, you know, I, it was one of the harder physical things I'd ever done and, and that we did well is, um, you know, I, I'm proud of that because I think we were able to push through. I, I, it would have had to have been extremely difficult for a lot of people unless I'm just a total sissy, which could quite beat the case. But, man, that was a couple of rough ones.
1: No, it, it was hard for sure. And these are the conditions that that I live in and, and have for a long time. And it was hard for me, too. The hardest thing for me was, you know, the the portion that. That I, that I'm still mad about that I feel like didn't have anything to do with hunting, and that's the the wind sprint portion. And uh, that was great. You know, there was a lot of lot of laughs and and some great videos and stuff that came out of that. But uh, I was just mad the whole time, <laughs> running yeah. uphill on the mud at nine thousand feet. Like, what in the world's going on? That was
0: brutal, especially because <laughs> we did it the first day, right yeah. after we got up the hill. Sure. And it was like, I remember getting up, going, "Okay, that was the hardest thing I've ever hardest hike I've ever done in my life." And they go, "You got five minutes, and then we're going to do the workout." And I'm like, "Well, yeah. there's that.
1: <laughs> you know, like yeah.
0: I'm just gonna, you know." And uh, but we we took that very strategically as well, and. The guys, especially uh, Corey, just came up with an awesome plan. We figured it out on the way up, how many shots we we're going to need to to get into the pole position, how, what the splits were on those shots, on the times, how much roughly time we we're going to be on the gun, how long it was going to take us to run up the hill, and we ran a time on it. We just knew. I remember about halfway through, I'm running back down the hill, and Corey passes me, and he just goes, turn it up 5%. He's like, we crank 5%, we win this. And it was like, okay. And I think at that time, 62 was like the, the shot or, you know, what is the the, the top score? And I think we got 68 on it and it was like, but it was really, really cool. Cause like, we just had it figured out like, okay, we, we know where we need to be on this and everyone communicated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a, that was an interesting one. Um, I was coming out of a hunt in Colorado a, a few years ago and it had been even higher elevation than what we did in Wyoming and this mountain ranch just didn't have water in it so we we were really low on water and just basically living on about 20 ounces a day for about a week and you know carrying camp and living in the living in the snow and in the cold you know as high as i think like i don't know twelve thousand feet. feet uh, and at the end of that hunt i had i don't know a four mile hike out to the trailhead and at one point my back just quit, you know, and, and I've got some injuries that add to that. And I, I looked over at um, my buddy, Tim, who's a Marine that was with me. And I was like, Hey, just so you know, like the rest of this is going to be pretty slow, but I'm going to do it. It's fine. And the cameraman was a guy from back. east that didn't really know what he was getting into on this hunt. And he'd, he'd struggled a little bit throughout the hunt, but he was doing it. He'd made it. And when we were, uh, when we were walking out and I was kind of trudging along, dragging both feet. He said, uh, I can carry your rifle if you want, and I was I was tired enough that I'd kind of lost my filter, and uh, we'd helped him pack his camera equipment in, and right. I, I looked at him, and I said, I'd rather die, <laughs> and I, I, I 100% meant it, and as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, that probably made that guy feel bad, I shouldn't have said that, you know, a no thank you would have been more appropriate, but uh, yeah, yeah, if if I'd had a little bit more humility and a little bit more hoist gracie in me, I would have been like, "Thank you."
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it is interesting. I talked to someone the other day, um, a, a couple couple of my friends who were very very high level competitors. One's actually was a high level competitor and a coach for the U.S. Olympic team. Another one was a Canadian record holder. We were all having a conversation. One was a two time world champion in powerlifting. We were talking about toughness versus strategy you know and this i don't want this to sound weird or weak but like it's sometimes toughness or having to be tough is something that you want to like use as a reserve tank or at least in my opinion from from coming from the world of strategic sport or like competitive sport i hope i could win without having to be tough because that means my strategy my resources my all my training has been on and then tough is that X factor I have if I have to go there. But really, like, it, it, it probably makes me sound like a complete P, but like, I'm going to try to use as little as, as my resources as possible to get the maximum result. So I have the, the reserve tank when I have to. For instance, there was a group I saw, I don't know remember who they were at the SIG Hunger. Heck, you might have been your group. Who was it the first day where we... We, they called us off the mountain because of conditions and there was a group that was maybe like one or two, uh, one or two stations out that hiked back. That was us. I laughed, man. I'll be honest. I yeah. I did the math in my head. I go, they're doing 20% of work. They don't get paid for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and as the competitor in me, I was like, I got them. Yeah. I yeah. Like, you know, and I looked, I said, are they getting extra points for walking back? And they're like, no, it's like, I'm sitting down, dude, you know, and that that's that comes from my world of like win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what do you have to do to win?
1: And so, you know, yeah, much I'll,
0: respect, but
1: <laughs> no, uh, it was funny. We got a lot of mixed reactions about that. And in fact, one of the SIG staff came up and called me an asshole as soon as we got back. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, that's uh, that was kind of a decision that the whole team made. And sure. That's fine. You now, from a
0: training perspective, I love it. If it was a training day, I would have said absolutely this is going to make us better. But if you're going back to it, if we're counting points.
1: Yeah, there was a real functional component to what we were doing there too, because we'd had we're in a wide open spot and we'd had to sit out there in the wind for you know 40 mm-hmm. minutes or whatever okay. the ceasefire was. And uh I had little Python cowboy from Florida, he was freezing to death in the snow. So once we started hiking, everybody was warm again. And sure. we're, we're hiking downhill. And then there was this mad scramble to get the vehicles up there to get people off. So yeah. by the time we actually had a vehicle to bring us back to the lodge, we only had half a mile to go. Right. No, no.
0: I knew there had to be yeah. more to it, but just the competitor inside me was like, oh, man, like I that would be something I would never do. And it's probably why I, I'm
1: not. I probably had to give my pack to to Corey.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like it was just not tough enough. You know? Yeah.
1: Well, on that on that stage there that you're talking about, Mike Kimmel from Florida, he'd he'd put too much weight in his pack. And he kind of didn't know. He'd never done that before. He'd never carried weight uh, in the snow, on a hill, you know, altitude, all that stuff. And I told him not to, but he did yeah. it anyways, and and good on him. But he also got gassed out. So when, yeah. when we got up there and, and he kind of didn't have anything left, I was like, hey, just grab on to my pack and pull a little, a little bit and I'll just draft horse you the rest of the way. Sure. When I was a kid growing up here in this super steep country, I didn't like to ride horses all that much. I still don't. But horses are how you get around. So when we're cowboying in the canyons and stuff like that, going up these long, steep pitches, that might be you know, 3000 feet of elevation gain and, you know, a mile, I would just grab my dad's horse's tail and just that couple pounds of of yeah. extra to help pull you. You can hike up the steepest face on the planet just with a little tiny bit of, of mm. extra. So for me, it was no big deal to pull an extra five or 10 pounds of weight laterally. Right. But you know, mentally and a little bit physically for Mike, it's, it's everything to be able to reach out and grab a pack and have just that little bit of extra. And we, we made it across the finish line in time there too. And that was awesome.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. That's a cool, that's a cool lesson. I I didn't know. I've not, you know, I've kind of done like the help a guy push up on his pack, like kind of leaning forward a little bit, but like, Again, that whole mountain thing is is pretty foreign to me. Like I've hunted in the out west a few times, but I'm, I'm I'm no expert in mountain hunting by any means, and certainly not like yourself.
1: Well, a lot of it is just the mental aspect, like helping somebody spotting somebody on a bench press. Like I'm sure you've seen that a million times, where you're putting like an ounce of weight on the bottom of the of the sure. bar, and all of a sudden somebody can can do what they thought they couldn't do previously. But the mental component to that teamwork changes people's ability like that. The idea that I'm getting helped is is enough to carry through. I think that's amazing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I know removing that little bit from Hoist's pack probably didn't change a whole heck of a lot. But I know like, you know, I mean, heck, Corey removing that pack from my back, that was like I was actually able to it took me still probably 20 yards to where I could walk again. Without the load on my glutes, but after a while, I was able to clip along pretty good and you know had he not been in the shape he was in and then offered himself up for that and Kendall help and whatever, like we'd have been screwed on that yeah. one like, it, and that's but that that's a cool part of of knowing those tricks and and you know I could have probably fought it like no, I'm gonna do it myself. I was <laughs> <It's> like, well, <laughs> we probably wouldn't have
1: won <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Bert, we kind of got down a 100 games uh, rabbit hole here, which I'm not mad about at all, but tell sure. me a little bit about yourself and, and Sorenax and who you are and how you got to where you're at.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I've been um, I've been lifting weights my, or, or around it my whole life. I'm 45 years old. I've been here for 23 years at Sorenax, um, a president and co-owner. My father started it in 1980 when I was a kid. And so I've been around it my whole life. And we build... Uh, high-end American-made innovative strength equipment. We have for 40, 42 years now. And um, we deal with universities, pro teams, and we, we deal with a lot of individuals as well. A lot of people in the hunting community are purchasing from us now, which is cool. Um, a lot of military units and have been for forever. I've been an outdoorsman and a hunter longer than I've been a weightlifter, as well as my father. So I grew up in that and I basically the two things I've ever wanted to do is really be in the outdoors and be strong and lift weights. And, and and I was a, I wouldn't say I was, I was training for the Olympic team. I never made the Olympics. So I don't like to use the term Olympic caliber, but I guess by the ranking system, I guess I was to an extent a uh, hammer thrower, Olympic hammer thrower. So you turn really fast with a, you know, steel ball on the end of a wire. So that was my sport. Um, I've always been kind of into the, odd kind of sport. So I did that for a while, for years and a couple of Olympic trials. And then I went into Scottish Highland Games and became professional there, traveled all over the world throwing trees and rocks. That's kind of always been my thing. My my sports were always like three seconds or less of exertion, a lot of exertion, but very, yeah. uh, very technical and very fast. And then you would sit down for 20 minutes Right. and then you get up and do it again. So I found after I stopped throwing training was not necessarily hard, but I just, I lacked a direction. I would just, I trained to be kind of the same strength and kind of like, cause that's just what I did. I trained uh, and I was always hunting whitetails and bears and stuff like that, more of Eastern style, pretty low physical need type hunt. And then four or five years ago, I started doing more. I, I did AL kind of probably 20 years ago uh, back in the you know early 2000s, but you know more recently started doing some more backcountry style hunts and realized that, you know, my old style of training was not going to do it. And, you know, I would hike and just, just get eaten alive because my type two muscle fiber, the fast twitch fiber relies on, uh, ATP and and not a whole lot of sustained effort. So like I literally trained myself as far away from a mountain hunter style as much as possible. So I'm finding, That training for something now with a desirable outcome and result and a measurable outcome and result has been really, really fun. So, that I've, you know, Soren X Outdoors is literally just me saying, okay, I have all these people in the strength and conditioning world that know a lot of stuff that could help these people in the outdoor world. And there's a lot of these people in the outdoor world that have these amazing skill sets and lifestyles that I think could really benefit the people from the strength and conditioning world because a lot of them didn't grow up in it. They grew up in urban or suburban areas because they were sports related. So kind of saying, hey, you know, the two really groups of people on my phone besides my family are one of, you know, the, the highest level in both of these. And I said, let's just mash them together and make sure that everyone has open lines of communication and learning and education and uh wanting to bring some of that to the outdoor space and so that's kind of what sornex outdoors is but that's really just been a manifestation of my interest the more opportunity that I've gotten to do things in the mountains and for some different type of animals my training has just has just changed in itself
1: so that's kind of a little bit about me and what I'm what I'm doing that's that's awesome i was thinking about this last night it would be probably difficult but it might be doable to calculate How many years your company has added on to American lives? (laughs) Oh man! You know, I I think I think somebody could figure that out. That you know, based on the amount of of exercise that people are doing with your equipment, um, has improved their health to the point that you know they're going to live this much longer times. However much you've sold for how long? Um, That would be cool, dude. It. It's an be-
0: interesting metric because we've always looked at like, oh, this many world championship teams or Super Bowls or NBA, blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of like the metric even more of, you know, what has it done for our military and special operators out there? And guys call, they go, gosh, you know, I was in this scenario and we were strong enough and tough enough that I got to come home basically. And that's the stuff I really love. But when you talk of more of a holistic health approach for the the world or America, like that's a that's a metric I'd love
1: to be able to figure out it's millennia quite possibly yeah quite possibly. no guaranteed dude guaranteed it's over over a thousand years of of american lives have been added because people are working out with your stuff that's a monumental thing you know i work with uh i work with an irrigation company out of washington another great american company and i think about how much food they provide the world with the innovation that they have put into the sprinklers that go out all over the world and are able to move water in an efficient way that grows crops like what a profound impact and there's a million cases like this but it's worth thinking about how special that that really is and and how rare it is because there's a lot of tremendous effort that goes into things that that really doesn't affect people in a meaningful way Hmm.
0: well that's really i appreciate that and Yeah. We've always just wanted to make the world a stronger place. Like that's kind of the idea just that we think people could be stronger and and more accountable for their actions and, and more intentional on how they live their lives. And so that's kind of been part of our ethos and it's cool that people are, people are doing it. (laughs) That's, that's cool. Are you, do you live in Washington now?
1: I live in Northeast Oregon.
0: Okay. Northeast Oregon. Okay. my wife is from, I would guess it would be Northwest Washington.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Seattle area ish uh,
0: higher than that. Even like gotcha. uh, uh, was it uh, even above Bellingham's to Sue and Linden? Yeah, right, right on the Canadian border.
1: Cool. Cool. Well, an unfortunate thing that's happened over the past couple of years in rural America is the places that were fortunate enough to have gyms. A lot of them no longer do. So the closest Gym, I think to where I am now is 80 miles away and it takes a couple of hours to get there. Really? Yep. So for for these rural places um, and people that that would like to continue working out, um, if they were to get into a home weight system, I, I'd kind of like to talk through what the basic package would be that is like the absolute must-have. And then maybe a little bit more advanced, like this is, this is pretty Gucci. You can do a lot with this.
0: Right. Well, I guess it's, I, I attribute a lot to say buying a weapon, whether it's a bow or a gun or something along those lines, what is the requirement? First of all, are you hunting brush country, whitetails? Or are you hunting mule deer in the, the desert? Like two different weapon systems, right? So I, I look and go, what is your requirement?
1: And this, uh, this, although I talk about hunting a lot, this show is very, very global and pretty diverse. Um, so we have all, all kinds of listeners, so it's not just hunting, oh, hunting specific.
0: Sure. Okay. So, you know, I, again, I would still go back to, um,
1: what the requirement, requirement. is. What yeah.
0: We, yeah. What are we looking to accomplish with, with that gear? So meaning What are your current strengths and or weaknesses? If you're someone who's just an inherently extremely strong person, but you maybe carry a little bit extra weight and you have horrible wind, uh, then, you know, that's going to require a different...
1: I'm right here, bro. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah,
0: I don't. I don't think my 600 pounds ever helped me too much in the
1: mountain. Uh, uh, I was talking to uh, Major Brian Hubert last week about fitness in the Marine Corps, and he was he was in a uh, in a little tactical facility, and they were doing some drone strikes. And another major that was in the uh, in the talk there said, uh, "You see what happens when we." drop a bomb right here. And he's like, yeah, like everybody else runs away. And the other major said, are they flipping tires away or are they running away? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's where I would say, what's your requirements? You know, if, if you're um, you know, a bigger person, whatever, like heck you could take a, a single kettlebell of any weight, and swing a kettlebell, carry a kettlebell, and just freaking move. a Sustained—I would say—a a sustained action movement, kind of steady state. That's just going to burn calories and build your work capacity. What we call GPP, which is General Physical Preparedness. That's the old Russian term for it. So you could you could just do that. I mean, that that helps a ton. Now, if you wanted more of a holistic approach, where you have uh, you know a strength component, a conditioning component. You, really a barbell with some plates and that's always going to build your chassis, your axial chassis. And so if you're carrying a pack or lifting something, or even looking for a health perspective of bone density, um, muscular density, hormonal, uh, cellular, real quick. So strength training and training in general is an adaptation cocktail. And the whole point of strength training and supplements, and recovery, and all that stuff, or conditioning, is only to create a mechanical, a hormonal, or a cellular adaptation. So you have to look at it like that. It's almost looking at a a gun. It's like eh, a gun doesn't matter what it is. It's a projectile launch device. That's what it's trying to do. It's trying to say that thing over there is too far for me to poke it and I'm going to poke it from further away. So I got to put this pokey thing over there. So like I try to like boil things down very simply. So then you can see what actually occurs. So you're through a holistic training plan. You're trying to make adaptations at the cellular level, at the hormonal level. And that, that especially the hormonal level, people miss that is different styles of training done at different times, creates different hormonal responses in the body, which either burns fat, puts on fat, creates muscle density, bone density, things like that. So in that regard, to try to try not to go super long of this question, I would always say a barbell, some sort of rack that holds said barbell off the ground at a certain height that you could start the exercise from a certain mechanically advantageous position, whether it's coming a squat off of a rack, a bench press off a rack, a chest a standing press or whatever it may be um because you want to do some heavy work because heavy work is going to build bone density and tendon muscular density and the next thing you're going to do is rep effort work which is going to build some hypertrophy which is muscle growth so so the system itself self will be able to grow and be able to support just large because of just muscular size obviously you can't get too muscular too big if you're going in the mountains and the last bit is as you're doing that rep effort, that's increasing your work capacity, which is kind of the one that hits closest um, from a mountain hunting perspective or just health perspective. You wanna be able to have stamina. But here's something that I don't know if a lot of people realize, the Australian special forces did a research did research years ago about pack carrying weight. So for a movement, a day long movement at 20 kilometers, which would be what, like 13 or 14 miles, So, which is a long day, I would assume for a mountain hunt, but at sea level, so this is just very basic at sea level 20 kilometers, they said that you need uh, a 1.5 body weight squat in order to carry 30 30% of your body weight on your back so let's put that into perspective, so you're a 200 pound individual. 30% of 200 pounds is what, like 65 pounds-ish?
1: Yeah, 60 pounds, yeah. So 60,
0: 65 pounds, 65 probably. So a 200-pound individual, they need to be able to squat 300 pounds, bar on their back, squat both legs 300 pounds in order to safely carry a 65-pound pack basically all day, okay? If they're not that strong, Regardless of their conditioning level, there's a potential for mechanical injury to the hips, the knees, the back overuse. They're just not they're, The chassis isn't strong enough to carry that load, their payload. Okay. Interesting. So if you have a two X bodyweight squat, hence that 200 pound person can now squat 400 pounds, all things being equal, they still have the capacity, uh, you know, the wind, all the conditioning they could carry up to 45%, which takes them to almost hundred pounds, which strangely enough is roughly about a packed out elk quarter or, you know, what you would be carrying yeah. out. With. So that's why I talk to people like, yeah, you don't have to lift, but scientifically they found out that if you have a hundred pound pack on your back and you're 200 pounds, which I say was probably the average person in the elk woods. If you have that hundred pound pack on your back, maybe you don't have to go 20 kilometers, but Now, we also were looking at sea level. Now you're talking 5, 10,000 feet elevation and rugged terrain. You're legitimately putting yourself at at a mechanically disadvantaged position that will at some point lead to some sort of injury, whether it's an overuse injury, acute injury, a twisted ankle or something. The strength level is not there unless you're toting about a 2X back squat, which is 400 pounds, which is strong. So... That's the stuff that I like to bring to the table and say, hey, you can be as tough as you want to be. At some point, your, musc- your muscles and your bones are just going, F this, we ain't made for this. And you could will yourself through it until you snap something or pop something off or you chew up your back or whatever. So that's where the strength and conditioning, the smart strength and conditioning comes into. What is the requirement? If I'm going on a, a, a hunt that's a day hunt that I'm going out of, a camp camp where I'm carrying 30 pounds, you know, my bow, on my back, my rifle or whatever, and my day stuff. And then if I kill a bull, I got llamas and horses. Maybe I don't need to be that strong. Maybe that's fine. Maybe I just need to be able to walk forever. But if I'm doing a backcountry hunt where I'm 65, 70 going in, I'm 120 going out, you better be pretty strong and have a motor to go. So that's where I say, an axial loading ability with a barbell on a squat or a deadlift is vital not only for building that strength and what they call axial loading which you're doing the spine and the hips appendicular would be your arms curls and stuff like that don't really count in this in that that world but axial strength loading that is absolutely vital for overall health and fitness um so those are some of the things i would say a rack something that you could use for a rep effort method, which either is just lighter weights, you could deadlift a gazillion reps and just for, for work capacity, there's kettlebells, there's things to carry. Um You know, I found an extremely high benefit in the last 12 weeks from a sled. I do sled uh, pulls backwards, but I also have a method that I've created of uh, pulling uh, pushing a sled forward in a pipe position just uh, with straight legs. So it incorporates the hamstrings and the glutes in a, in a very disadvantaged position. And I have, I'm 45. Now my back has hurt since I was 18 years old, since I started competitively throwing. And I was telling my wife this morning, this is the first time since I've been 18 that my back hasn't hurt.
1: No kidding. That's awesome.
0: It's wild. I'll send you a video of it. It's, it's the best thing I've done in training and I stumbled across it. And all of a sudden my hip flexibility is better. My hamstrings are looser. My low back doesn't hurt. And honestly, that was what I was doing for probably eight to 10 weeks going into the Sig Hunter games. And I did that because I tore my hamstring last year. I did it as hamstring rehab. And I found that it built my work capacity. Again, I still had some issues while I was there. Um, and I, But I think that's probably due to such a differential between working a desk job at sea level and then going to 10,000 feet elevation and having to do some big boy stuff that you know I was much further along. Um, but I'll be honest, I'm hunting in Utah this year at a ranch, very close to where we were in Wyoming. So I just said, okay, I know the terrain. I know the altitude. I know what my weakness was at the St. Hunter game. So I know what I have to go do. And now I've been doing 50 pound rucks every morning and then I'm adding 10 pounds a week. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll give me eight more weeks. And I'll be ready for that. Yeah. So long story short, you want some way to have a, a strengthening load. And then some way to do a rep effort where you can build conditioning and stamina.
1: That makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, you you brought up the like the the day camp scenario. If you've got pack animals, and you know, if you've got llamas in camp, I think that's a really great way to make sure that you don't have to carry very much weight because you're definitely not going to kill anything because llamas are an accidental species that shouldn't exist. Um, (laughs) So. That's uh, that's, that's really smart. Like if you really want to just save yourself from having to carry extra weight, definitely bring llamas with you. Cause you'll just go home with nothing but llama
0: <laughs> Are llama. I, I've never hunted with llamas. Are they like, uh, do you just hate them? Or is that like, uh, they, they make game the run away. I don't even know. I mean,
1: I mean, I, I call them elk repellent, but the reason that I hate llamas is because horses and mules are terrified of them. So when I was growing up in this country behind me here, um, packing horses and mules and guiding people, every once in a while, you'd come around the corner, you know, on some trail that was nine inches wide with a thousand feet of drop next to it. And there'd be some dude with a bandana wrapped around his head and a llama behind him for some reason, and it would cause absolute disasters. So it's really similar to if you like wore a grizzly bear costume and like jumped out of the brush at people. It, it's it's equally irresponsible to bring llamas into the backcountry. Really? And for some reason, for some reason, dude, it has become this trendy thing. And it is mind blowing to me because they can't carry hardly anything. You know, they can carry less weight than a human. And a lot really? of times all I, I've of never
0: never messed with a llama before. A
1: lot of times all they're carrying is their own food. So people are just bringing llamas hunting with them which is some of the most bizarre behavior that i can imagine it's like why not chinchillas or i don't know an emu like what are we doing that's just your companion like this is absolutely nuts and people just think that they need to take a freaking llama with them cuz they saw it on a youtube video that is hilarious
0: uh, <laughs> that is hilarious yeah i want i want a definitely a hunting emu or a uh, <laughs> what is that other thing that's kind of like a llama but it's like Weaker and crappier.
1: I I can't it's, imagine. It has like anything.
0: the little like the little poofy head yeah, and
1: then like the, an alpaca. Yeah. Alpaca, yeah, alpacas. Yeah, Ooh. they things seem, seem pretty worthless
0: too. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like bringing like an accordion on your hunting trip, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I love it. Elk repellent. That's perfect.
1: So, and I'm ha- halfway just giving people a hard time, but also I love- very, very seriously llamas do cause a lot of wrecks in the backcountry, country and uh i i don't i don't see them as as really necessary or, or beneficial under most circumstances
0: now how, how much weight could said llama carry
1: i think that they can carry and i'm not a llama expert i'm more of an expert at talking trash about llamas but i think that they can carry around 60 pounds
0: so like a person
1: yeah like a like a little person uh, maybe i d- i don't know not a lot but the the smallest mule out there can carry over 100 um right so it's like what what are we doing here i um, mean you see guys that they actually actually um you can rent llamas can you imagine spending your money that recklessly so you see guys that actually kill something and they're coming out of the back country with their llama and the llamas will have like a fanny pack on like a joe rogan fanny pack full of like <laughs> I don't know a, a neat pine cone that they found along the way, and then the hunter is just like staggered along carrying everything. It's like, dude, what is going on? you you just brought a llama hunting with you. I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, like a
0: companion
1: llama. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe they nice. like
0: the llama. Maybe he's a good a good dude to hang out around the fire. Like I don't know. But that's <laughs> hilarious. I, I like the grizzly bear costume um, idea. That would be perfect as well
1: <laughs>
0: oh uh, man i'll never look at llamas the same way
1: good good that's good
0: it's i sounds- might actually name one of my workouts that are like <laughs> that are like a work capacity workout but they're not very hard i'll name it the llama <laughs> we you were, have to like uh, carry like a phone book for like 100 yards you're like mm, all right, thanks, <laughs> thanks. For you young listeners out here, we used to have things called phone books. You see, and they were paper. <laughs> yeah. And, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, that was great. Black Rifle came out with a a, a llama-themed llama themed coffee. Yeah, and power what a combination of words that is. Anyways, I was moose hunting with uh, with Cole Kramer last year in Alaska, and uh, he he busted out what some power jerk, huh? power llama. Yeah, no, I love Cole.
0: Uh, yeah, Cole's amazing. We've been talking a lot of trash especially uh, since I beat the snot out of him at the games. I hope you listen to this, Cole. <laughs> he will. Um, yeah. Cole, Cole's one of those guys. I was actually pretty terrified of his team because I'm like, okay, you got like a bunch of tier one operators led by a legitimate mountain goat. I was like, oh, my gosh. I, I started stacking the deck. Cole's awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, when he brewed up some power llama, I had to had to refuse. I'm just not going not gonna to go down that road.
0: You don't think the llama is bringing any type of power?
1: No, I've re- not not anything good anyways. Not anything good.
0: Yeah, it's like the chakra crystals or whatever. Like you hold the thing <laughs> and they test the muscle test on the other side. And it actually makes your arm weaker if you touch <laughs> anything with the word llama in it. Maybe.
1: I'm not going to risk it.
0: <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, they are.
1: <laughs> Screw the power <laughs> llamas. Sorry, Evan. <laughs> uh, so it sounds like people need... Need a bench, a rack, a barbell, some plates, and a couple of kettlebells, and they can take on the world.
0: You could do a lot with that, I, and I would say if there's a, a sled option, whether you you know yeah. if you get one from us, cool. If you have something you could drag, but that that's kind of a nice way to increase the carrying capacity without having to you know you can leave it outside. You can do stuff like that. You know, it's just, yeah. I think the biggest thing is really the the mo- the training uh, the recipe more than just the food, right? Like the food, the food is the equipment. Well, the recipe is how you use it. So that that's, you know, I've had heard people say, what do you do for strength? Well, you train with a barbell, what do you do for endurance chain with a barbell faster? Yeah, You know, and, uh, and there's some strangely, uh, strange accuracy to that.
1: This, this little area here that has hardly any people produces tremendous runners, um, year in and year out. Part of it's the elevation, but a lot of it is, is our running coach that we have here mm-hmm. and just the culture around running. But he had us for cross country doing almost exclusively hill sprints. And, you know, very rarely would we actually ever run 5k in a practice. Um, and it was never running at a racing pace It was always running faster than that. And always running on a hill. And then when athletes from here would go to, you know, Western Oregon for state level competitions, they're dropping down thousands of feet of elevation and now they're running on flat courses and they just smoke checked everybody. Um, you know, this, this place is producing guys like, like David Ribich who are running under four minute miles and, you know, the number of, of really successful runners that have come out of here is not at all consistent with, with the population because there's hardly any people here. So what is it? And I think a lot of it is running Hills. Um, and that is work out with a barbell faster. Right.
0: Right. Right. And you do have the, the cultural and contextual side of Oregon as is, is a running, you know, it, sure. Is, it, University of Oregon, Bowerman, Hayward field, all that stuff. Like,
1: yeah,
0: I, I've been there. I com- competed at Hayward. I know track town USA is is accurately depicted uh, with Prefontaine
1: and everybody else. Right? Yeah. Hey,
0: Cameron is like that guy is running full.
1: Yeah. No, Oregon runs and wrestles and uh, kind of always has.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. How,
1: how far are you from like the Eugene area? Oh, 12 hours. Oh, wow. 11 hours. Far. Yeah. Wow. yeah the other side so i'm like 40 miles from idaho i'm like 40 miles from washington okay. um, Oh, cool. yeah there's there's nobody around i think i think our closest uh stoplight is like 76 miles from where i am right here No.
0: Oh.
1: so it's awesome oh,
0: the, game, the game has to be amazing around there there's no one to hunt them
1: well not really because all the hippies from portland come over here and our uh our wolf and mountain lion populations are completely out of control so you know i i honestly think that mule deer are probably going to go extinct in this area um, in my lifetime so it's actually a a pretty sad scene from a wildlife perspective but there was a time um in the 70s especially that it was very very good Mm. yeah
0: Uh, that's sad man that's sad when you get folks that don't have a dog in the fight or they don't have you know real information from that regional area what's actually occurring making choices or putting pressure on i mean that's a that's an age-old problem within the hunting world but still it's,
1: it's sad well people want want to do the right thing you know they think they're doing the right thing they just might not know and i'm not saying that i know either i'm just doing my best so i i get it another example is this uh and i'll just briefly get political on this but the the return act um which who knows where that thing will be by the time the show comes out But basically, a a congressman from Georgia um, proposed the Return Act, which would get rid of the excise tax on firearms and ammunition, and that produces between $1 and $1.5 billion a year that goes back to the states that helps with conservation-related projects, and it's about 10% of the funding for the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, and it would be similar in most states. It replaces that one to 1.5 billion with 800 million from uh offshore gas taxes but but it it would it would hurt wildlife for sure so you know he that guy i'm sure thinks he's doing the right thing he's trying to you know reduce infringement on the second amendment but it's probably going to hurt wildlife in the long run and and it really puts sportsmen in a place where they're a little bit torn about it and it's just a complicated issue. So it's definitely a case where somebody thinks that they're, they're doing the right thing, but might actually be doing some harm.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and not, that's sad. And it's not necessarily to get you know political either, but a, a good friend of mine uh, who's from the Oregon area, he and I were talking about gun control. I know that's a wildly hot topic, but um, he was talking to someone very, very high at the NRA one day. He didn't, the funny part is he didn't know who it was, which is hilarious in itself. But he go, he was like, man, all this gun stuff, it's like, y'all got to reframe this. And he's like, well, why, 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 are you, why are you saying that? He goes, well, he goes, talk to a pro-gun person and say, why do you want to carry a gun? Now, this guy's in the gun industry, you know? And he said, if you ask a pro-gun person why they want to carry a gun, generally the answer could very easily be because I don't want to be hurt or killed by a crazy, like by a crazy person. Yeah. I want to be able to defend myself and those around me from someone crazy, potentially with a gun. Ask a non, uh, an anti-gun person. Why don't you want people to have guns? The answer quite possibly could be because I don't want myself or my family to be killed by a crazy person, potentially with a gun. Yeah. So in many ways, Both sides kind of want the same thing in some ways. They just have two different ways of looking at the problem with two different vantage points and maybe data points. Now, I believe that, you know, okay, if you want to live in the fairyland and say that, you know, take away all guns and everyone will be safe. I don't believe that will ever happen a because you can't get rid of all the guns B, because people are still going to kill each other with knives and hammers and, Whatever, so you have to realize what world we're in. But I thought it was a very interesting and somewhat poetic way to put it. Like most rational people, if you were to ask them on either side of the the line, are probably going to say they want their guns or don't want get people to have guns based on the exact same outcome is to not get killed by a crazy person. So I thought that was very interesting.
1: No, it's it's true and it's spot on.
0: Sorry, we're we not allowed to get political or talk about stuff on your podcast
1: no we do we talk about everything on the show um and people bring up stuff here all the time that i completely disagree with or i completely agree with everything in between but i want people to be able to talk about it like i I don't ever want this to be a, a show where people aren't allowed to to talk about what they think and and be able to just lay it out there you know whether i agree with them or not is doesn't matter like this is about this this show is about you and and you know, you're here because you're an interesting person and you've accomplished interesting things. And because (laughs) I like you, you know, that's it. Uh, So yeah, let's, let's talk about it. I think it's awesome. Thank you. But with that said, we are running out of time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the, that's the big hook. You're like, it was really interesting. No,
1: no, no, that's not it. But, uh, no, if, if people want to uh want to get their home gym set up because covid shut down their gym or or for whatever reason you know they want to outfit their 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 high school or their college or, or whatever they want to get some some american-made heavy metal how do they how do they find you how do they do it
0: yeah they i really appreciate it we'd love to help out uh sorenx.com dot com is our general website we have most of the stuff we do on there you can check out the facilities page to see uh, whether there's some personal home gyms that would probably be pretty interesting to some folks and a lot of different colleges and just so you can see the array of things that we do. Um follow us on Instagram, Sornex, Sornex Outdoors, if you're into the outdoor side. I'm Bert Soren there. Uh, usually everything I'm doing involves, you know, usually my kids shooting something, swimming around <laughs> something, cooking something. <laughs> it's pretty simple. That's awesome. That's uh,
1: kind of who I am. Um and we'll have links to all that in the podcast description if you guys don't want to hunt it up. So, well, Bert, thank you again very much and uh look forward to look forward to seeing you, what you turn up on that place in uh in Utah this year. I think you're going to have a special experience out there.
0: Thank you, James. I really appreciate it. And uh what what hunts do you have coming up? You you about to hit a bunch? Of-
1: yeah, it, it it'll start getting serious in a couple weeks. So, uh, August 1st I'll roll hard straight until well, until January.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, please keep sending me some pictures of, uh, of, of the successes. And even if you have near misses, they're all, I, you know, this is the best time of the year where everyone starts sharing their trail camera pictures and you get pic, pics from all your boys that are, uh, doing some amazing things out there. And I know you're doing it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing pics and I'll, I'll share you a few, if I, uh, if I aim small, miss small, you know,
1: heck yeah, buddy. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot, James. Thank you. I'm working on building a house this year, which is something that I know nothing about. And I love that. It's exciting. Uh, everything is a new challenge and there's lots of challenges that pop up. The other day, we we're laying out rebar and getting ready to pour concrete for the foundation of the shop that's going to be next to the house. And one of the guys that was there that was helping one of the construction crewmen, I looked over and he had a Stanley thermos sitting on the end of the trailer. I said, how do you like that thing? And he goes, oh, I love it. I've had it for a decade. Like, you know, if you find any environment where people are out there working hard, working hard with their hands outside, no matter the conditions, you're probably going to see a Stanley product there. It's something that just goes with that blue collar labor, because that's what this product is doing. It is out there working just as hard as you are. It's going to be there as long as you are. It's going to be there after you're done. It's something that, that I feel passionate about with every piece of gear that I take either into the woods or into the workplace. Like it's gotta be able to outwork me and I work really hard myself. If you are also a hard worker and I'm sure that you are, then you could probably appreciate the same type of gear. If you go to stanley1913.com and you use the discount code 6 ranch that's the number 6 and the word ranch you can get 25% off just about any of their products now i encourage you to do that they're a great supporter of this show and uh great supporter of this audience again i love you guys and i just want to pass this uh this discount and the savings on to you if you want something from stanley i encourage you to get it thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share the show with a friend. You can also rate the podcast and leave a review. Your support allows me to keep doing what I love, which is meeting incredible folks and sharing their stories with you. For more content and photos, follow the show on Instagram at Six Ranch Podcast or me at Six Ranch Outfitters. This episode was produced by Emily Brannigan, with original music written and performed by Justin Hay. Art for the Six Ranch Podcast. Was created by John Chatelain and digitized by Celia Christopherson. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode of the Six Ranch podcast. I'll catch you next week.